Welcome back to another episode of the Virtual Velo Podcast. This is episode 32. This is going to be a packed show, so stick around because we're going to unpack plenty in this show. Let me quickly give you some of the headlines that we will cover in this episode. But first, let me tell you, we have a fantastic guest once again and very relevant given the announcements we have seen this week. I am really pleased to say we have Eric Hill with us today, one of the masterminds behind the crazily successful Echelon Racing Series, which is, of course, linked to Project Echelon, a non-for-profit organization raising money for military veterans and the related charities. This is very relevant given the fact that Echelon Racing is returning to Zwift alongside the announcement that the U.S. National Championships will also be back on Zwift through the Echelon Racing Organizing Team. Before we get into it, Eric, Chris, good to have you here as always. Shall I run through what's going to be on today's show? Well, it's, it's good to be here, Sai. The, uh, the cycling esports landscape is, I don't know, it's just like, it is such an exciting and interesting time in the evolution of cycling esports. Like, I wake up every morning and there's, there's something else happening. And this is just another one of those shows. We have like a really impactful guest. You know, he's coming back to Zwift, which I think is really interesting. And he's, he has, you know, I've, I've spoken to him. I, I did a pre-interview with him and he has some pretty interesting things to say, things that are going to, I think, really move the needle um, in cycling esports. So I'm really looking forward to speaking with him. Yeah, absolutely. Looking forward to, uh, to get into a deep dive discussion there with Eric and, and see what's coming with Project Echelon. Of course, the other things we've got to talk about, this controversy, Chris, in the Zwift Grand Prix, is it appears all the hard-earned racing and the points earned in race number one are now null and void. And it's left a lot of teams, I have to say, with a little bit of a bitter taste in their mouth. So we're going to have a chat about that after we've spoken to Eric. We also have a discussion on the IOC and the cycling esports possible inclusion in the Olympics, the USA Nationals, and also the discussion on the UCI cycling esports qualification process. And I know there's going to be a lot of ears waiting to hear a little bit more about that, Chris. Yeah, actually, that's a lot of interesting information also. And I don't want this to be a... Uh a U.S. centric show, but there's some uh, interesting information that's come down. I've had, I've had a conversation with uh, USA Cycling's chief of sports performance and other sources close to USA Cycling. And there's some exciting news that the athletes uh, in the States, you know, the elite athletes in the States are going to be pretty interested in hearing. Yeah, absolutely. It, I, to be honest, Chris, it's going to be interesting to see if what a knock-on effect that's going to have as well with the other national governing bodies. So we'll uh, hunt around for news on that also. So that's coming at the end of the show. Chris, but I think this is the time where we need to make uh, another announcement ourselves because, of course, we need to formally announce our partnership, Chris. I mean, I mean this totally professionally, of course. But yeah, myself and Chris are making it official and we are launching the Virtual Velo Network. Chris, do you want to give us a bit of information on what exactly is the Virtual Velo Network? Well, I'm not really sure how professional it is, Sai, um, because I think it's an, actually an elaborate scheme to be able to justify talking to each other all day about cycling <laughs> esports, and we so we could tell our wives that it's for work. But no, it, in, in all seriousness, you know, we're you know we have a mission to promote the sport and make an impact and make a difference, and you know it just seems natural that if we join forces and, and utilize our multimedia platform that we can have a greater reach. And if, if that means that it's something that can, you know, help, you know, push the sport forward and, and push our voice out there, then I, you know, yeah, I'm looking forward to the partnership. I really am. So for those who are not aware, that's the platforms that Chris and I run independently currently. The Zamunike, the Virtual Velo Podcast, which is our shared platform, Chris. And then, of course, we've got my YouTube channel where currently we host all the, the recon videos. So we're combining all of those in all those media platforms, I should say, into the virtual Velo network. And I think we've got some exciting stuff coming up in the future. Right, Chris, let's do this. Let's get Eric into the show. I'm pleased to welcome Eric Hill of Echelon Racing Promotions to the podcast. I'm super stoked to have Eric on the show. Chris, you might not know this, but when I first started doing the YouTube videos, I actually reached out to Eric and Frank because I wanted to get involved in the Echelon Racing Series. And uh, yeah, it, it just, at the time, it seemed the most sort of legitimate and well-organized series, and I was just desperate to get involved. So I'm really pleased that we've got Eric with the show today. But I know also you've uh, written some articles about Eric and Pro Project Echelon. Yeah, actually, the... You know, as a physical therapist, my life's work has been involving, you know, healing people with exercise. So adaptive athlete representation and inclusion is a 
a topic that is very dear to my heart. And you know, that's also uh, very dear to the mission of Project Echelon and Echelon Racing Promotions. So I wrote an article for Cycling News back in February of 2022, and the, and the title of the article was, RGT Leads the Charge for Inclusion of Disabled Athletes in Virtual Cycling. It was really an article about Eric and his organization and how they led the charge for recumbent cycles to be introduced to the virtual cycling platform RGT. And the significant thing is that that was the very first article that I ever had published in a mainstream cycling publication. And I remember it. You know, I, so I was really green to the whole process and Eric couldn't have been classier in his dealing with me and you know, getting the message out and just basically just obliging my requests and, and making it uh, a, not only a learning experience, but a really valuable, rewarding experience. So I can't say enough about him and his organization, and I'm really looking forward to getting the message out. Yeah. So Eric Hill is the founder and president of Project Echelon and Echelon Racing Promotions. First of all, Echelon Racing Promotions, it's a not-for-profit, and the profits go to support Project Echelon Racing and the Veterans Foundation. Echelon Racing Promotions don't donates 22% of its proceeds to Project Echelon 501c3 charity in honor of the 22 veterans who take their own lives each year. Chris, do you want to give us a bit more information on Project Echelon Racing? Yeah, so Project Echelon Racing is the uh, the organization that that's alongside Echelon Racing Promotions. I know Eric is going to uh, certainly add some clarity to this. But not only are they a veterans organization, but they're also a really hot cycling team. Right. They have some incredible athletes and they're are incredibly successful as well. I think they were the number one U.S. Conti team in 2022. And through their reach and, and the great work that they do, they were able to support 503 military veterans uh, last year. They collaborated with 13 veteran nonprofit organizations. They had some sort of a impact in thir- across 32 states in a supportive role. And they donated $70,000 uh, to veterans through direct donations and scholarships. So they're not only super fast, incredible athletes, cohesive group, but are making a difference uh, in the cycling world as well. Yeah. So Eric, welcome to the show. Uh, I hope we've done your uh, your project echelon justice there. You guys have done your done your homework. I'm sitting over here smiling, being like, this is absolutely brilliant. And I'm excited that I get to make good on your initial uh, reach out to ConnectSci. I feel bad for for snubbing you in the early days, but we're making good on that now. And uh, and yeah, I'm really excited to be here with both of you. I, I never told anyone that you snubbed me. I, I was going to make it the other way around in some way. But uh, yeah, it, indeed, I, I did get ignored for a little <laughs> while, but uh, it's all changed now. And yeah, and it's, it's great to have you. Why don't you give us a little bit of background and, and how it all started and in particular how it came to esports? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I come from a, a running background. Um, cycling was my, my second sport. I found it through in, injury. Um, and I came to the sport in a time where um, it was a bit tumultuous. There was a lot of teams folding and closing their doors. It was at the height of economic downturn in the United States, 2008 to 2012. And um, there wasn't a ton of new opportunity. Uh, the people that were on teams were people that had pro contracts prior. And I was trying to create that pathway for, for myself um, and was hitting dead end after dead end. And so, um, you know, I was getting myself rides uh, through, um, through guest ride opportunities, but it wasn't getting me to where I wanted to be. I knew I wanted to start a team of my own. I wasn't sure what that was going to look like. And at the same time, uh, a veteran friend of mine um, reached out and shared that he was looking for a tool, a means, a community to change his life. And he wanted to get involved in endurance sport. And uh, triathlon was was his outlet, or he wanted that to become his outlet. But he didn't have the resources or the network to make that happen. And I did. And uh, together, uh, we, you know, I, I coached him, mentored him, gave him some resources. And, um, you know, within six months, he finished his first uh, Olympic triathlon. A year later, he finished his first Ironman, and he completely transformed his life and his view on the life that he leads and how he could, you know, uh, be a positive change in the community, especially the veteran community. And so he said, there's a lot of brothers and sisters in the military uh, family that need the same type of help that he needed. Why wouldn't we want to start a team that could help to support those men and women in the same way that I supported him? And so Project Echelon was born in 2016 
with a mission to, to educate, equip, and empower veterans through physical activity using professional cycling as our platform to do that, right? What a beautiful opportunity to travel around the country, uh, racing these high profile events to carry this extremely important mission and to connect with veterans in communities, big and small, to do VA hospital visits um, and to create this unique opportunity to, to spread really the privilege that we have to do what we love day in and day out. So that things are, things are rolling along for you guys. And then the, the pandemic hits. And I think that that kind of, it, it, it was, yeah. it closed some windows, but it also opened up some doors for you. So why don't you tell us how that led to, you know, basically where we are now? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So things are rolling. The team is moving in, in the right tra- uh, trajectory. You know, we're right on my five-year plan of going Conti um, as a team and pandemic comes, um, like, all right, what, what are we going to do? There's no racing. So guys are lacking motivation. They're lacking the, that connection and community that they, that they, you know, crave, um, sponsors are questioning what they're going to do with their money. Should they pull back? Should they hold those funds? Do they keep supporting teams? Um, race promoters are struggling, um, to keep engagement and to stay afloat and to remain relevant. Uh, and our national governing bodies are doing the same thing. And so we're um, sitting here and thinking like, well, we have this amazing resource that I, being a Wisconsinite, uh, so Northern US, use on a regular basis, Zwift, as uh, a tool to connect with my peers and to compete and race or to train. Why, why not come to that platform together and um, host local competitions through, at that time, it was the group meet function. Um, and have it be, you know, closed high level competition that we could get people to come in and do. And, uh, I mean, we got to a point where those things were selling out in a matter of 30 minutes. Um, they're, you know, free open registration for, uh, in real life professionals word got out, people were coming, they're registering for it. And we knew we had something pretty special and it, it all grew from there. So where did USA cycling come into this? Cause I know that there was a time when you, you know, you, you were, partnering with them for national level events, um, on the RGT platform. So just explain to me where, where that relationship Mm -hmm. was formed. Yeah. Yeah. So like I said, you know, we, we knew we had something pretty special with these smaller level, uh, local events that we were running using the, the very simplified, uh, group meet function. I, I was telling Chris earlier, uh, the other day that we, it was so simple that people were literally taking screenshots of their finishing times in the group meet rides and then sending to them to me in a Google form <laughs> so that I could filter results on my own because Zwift power wasn't even like fully developed yet at that time. Um, so it was, it was, you know, pretty basic, pretty, uh, pretty manual at that time. Um, but the, when we realized like this is something that could actually be beneficial to all of the stakeholder groups, let's bring it to race promoters and, and host the virtual Redlands Bicycle Classic, the virtual uh, tour of the Gila UCI, the virtual Joe Martin UCI. And when it got to that level, that's when we pulled in the governing body as well and said, okay, we want to help you bring visibility and validity um, to all of this. We want to, um, to have you help us endorse it um, and to help us live stream it as well to get your other membership base involved. And so uh, they, they agreed. They thought it was a good opportunity to help these teams that are, you know, their kind of shining light, their beacon, uh, their, their lighthouse, if you will, uh, to, to keep them visible um, and to help, you know, moving the sport in the right direction in a very difficult time. And so USA Cycling at that point, uh, you know, just got behind us and helped us gain the momentum that we continued to get uh, over the next yeah, so years. I mean, you were clearly working with some some high level organizations there. And obviously, you know, said in the introduction that, you know, the Echelon Racing Series at the time or the Racing League was, you know, c- considered to be one of the most legitimate and high profile events. So, you know, what what does that event look like now? Because I know we're, we're coming up to the, the next series with the Echelon Racing League. So where, where are we with that? What, what does it look like for the coming season? Yeah. So um, coming up, Echelon Racing League is going to be a six race series. Um, We've tried to pick a diverse set of courses across uh, the Zwift platform that people will be able to compete in. Um, 
the the categories will be open a b c and d a will be elites men and women b c and d so on and so forth will be our amateur categories it'll be open to all nationalities for the echelon racing league uh, we'll also have paracycling categories just like we did um, in wahoo rgt um, with that the first three events of the echelon racing league are also going to be qualifiers for u.s national championships so competitors that want to compete in U.S. national championships and hold a USA cycling license will need to come and compete in one of those three first events um, and basically qualify for national championships by showing that they meet all of our governance and verification rules. At that point, they will uh, qualify for national championships, be available to compete. Um, those championships will be January 6th and 7th. All right. So, I mean, you've opened the, the question there on, on all sorts. There's lots of questions there in terms of the verification and so on. But before we get on to that, then, I just want to talk about Zwift because, of course, you were running the, the original series, or not the original series, but the series on RGT. And obviously, we know that is soon to close, unfortunately, sadly. Uh, but was it, you know, why did you choose to come back to Zwift this time? Yeah. Um, in conversations with, with USA Cycling and with our race promoters um, who have been backing us and, and uh, again, helping us establish our, ourselves um, from the beginning, you know, they said what we, where we host this series needs to be uh, in the place where the majority of our membership is, um, where the majority of our stakeholders currently are and have the easiest access to. And at, that, at this point in time, Zwift remains the largest virtual cycling platform um, in the world. And so uh, that is what they believe those stakeholders um, are, are asking for and, and wanting. Um, and, and we needed to deliver, to deliver on that. So uh, excited to, to be back on Zwift. It's excited to be on a platform that more people are, are familiar with and using on a regular basis. And uh, hopefully that leads to higher levels of, uh, of competition, um, both in number and in quality across the, the series and at national championships. So the audience is probably going to want to know uh, some more of the specific details. So I have the, uh, the schedule here. So the races are going to start on December 2nd is going to be the first of the Echelon Racing League races. And the amateur national champions, amateur U.S. national champions is going to be on January 6th of 2024 and the elite national championships are going to be on the following day on the 7th. Now, uh, Eric, can you give us a little bit of uh, insight into the format for the nationals and the, and the scoring system that you're going to be using for that? At this time, I cannot. It's not public. Uh, it's not published. So um, that's something that we're, we're actively working on finalizing. The thing that we wanted to get out first and foremost was the qualification piece um, so that people could prepare for that. I can tell you that it will be three events in a single day, um, that those three events will be of three different disciplines and they will be in an Omnium format. Beyond that, I can't go into more details. Okay, well, that, that's fair. But one of the things that I, that I think is extremely impactful, I'm very excited about, there are details that I'm sure that you can tell us, and that's the performance verification that you're going to have for the event. And not only the national championships, but also for the Echelon Racing League. So. If, uh, if you can give us some, some details on that, because I, I'm, I'm very interested and I know that our audience will be as well. Yeah, so we, we know very well that uh, fair play is essential for one, for esports to remain uh, highly regarded and valid as, as a sport. Um, and two, that people, you know, uh, more people will come to the table, uh, whether they be esports specific athletes or in real life athletes um, when they know that there is a form of governance that is consistent across the board. So we're really excited to be partnering with uh, the team at IndieVelo um, to help facilitate our governance protocols. Um, we have three different levels of governance that we are going to be implementing um, across the, the series and then for our national championships. Um, so we'll just call those bronze, silver, and gold for this at this moment. Um, all athletes are going to be subject to uh, that bronze level of verification, which is going to be looking at um, you know power distribution and regularity, having the proper um, equipment in place, and having um, a properly set up Zwift profile. 
And then there's going to be silver and gold. Um, the specifications on that are not yet published, so I'm not going to go too far into detail on it. Um, but those will be uh, implemented for podium finishers um, and then also for random uh, random checks as well. And so uh, that gold level is going to be more reserved for uh, elites, uh, so our A categories, and then for national championships, uh, that silver category or that civil level, silver level of verification uh, will be more so for our amateurs. So we're still trying to, to find that sweet spot too of what is accessible, right? There's so much data. There's so many things that we can be checking and verifying and finding this right um, quality control against. But the goal is to also get the masses here and you have to, you have to find that sweet spot of accessibility um, so that we're not turning people away simply because of a cost barrier or an equipment barrier that uh, may you know, may remove them from the plane. I think it sounds, it sounds really interesting Eric, that you've got, you know, that so many titles by the sound of it with the amateur and elites up for grabs and, and age group athletes as well. So how many different titles are going to be awarded over the uh, the national championships? I, we counted, I, I think it was 35 uh, total across across the board. I could be, could be wrong on that, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that was the final number um, when we look at, you know, our, our elite uh, men and women, our age graded um, masters categories, and then we'll have collegiate. Chris, categories you know what I'm well. thinking. I mean, I, I, we've uh, we've had some conversations you and I recently about your uh, your form at the moment, and uh, you're you're an age group athlete now. Is is this going to be on your target list for January, given your form? I've always said that the the chances of me actually being successful are going to get better as I get older. <laughs> because I'm going to continue to uh, to keep riding and. The, the, the hopefully the uh, the other old guys will start coming back to me but no um I, I may throw my my hat in the ring it all depends on uh, whether I can keep this form but we'll see that would be a, that would be pretty interesting and then the fact that you know every single rider in the echelon racing league is going to be under some sort of performance verification is you know it would make me feel better as, as a as a racer in that league and I you know as from what I can thinking and you, you tell me if i'm wrong side but this might be the first time that a community racing league has had any you know built-in performance verification you know definitely by an independent third party yeah i, th I think that's the that sounds like i'm just thinking now because obviously you know i've been going on the the my Wish platform and the sunday race club lately and and you know i had to do quite a bit even though i'm not at that elite status of of pre-race qualification as well so eric i do want to come back to you on that but yeah we we had to do quite a bit of pre-race verification so i'm interested on how much pre-race verification you've got to do to access the the erl it's a, a, a good question and one that i honestly am not yet uh, ready to to fully answer for you because i don't have the final published um a verification handbook so I don't want to provide any details that aren't factual um, or, or going to be upheld. No, but Chris, I think, Chris, I think you're right. This is absolutely because obviously the MyWoosh is, you know, their verification is done in-house. And you and I have had this discussion plenty of times that, you know, should you be marking your own homework in a way and, and some of the question marks around there. So I think this is certainly the first time that I can remember that a third party is doing the verification. Of course, we, we are seeing that technically in the Zwift Grand Prix at this moment in time as well, but certainly not all the way through the different categories and age groups and qualifying races as well. So it certainly feels like a step in the right direction and, and the first to make this move. All right, that sounds fantastic. And uh, it's great to see that level of verification happening all the way through the different categories. But I want to just ask you about something else there, because I think this is the first time I've, I've seen this, which is the, the sort of pay to play. And there's a, there's a registration process and there's a cost involved in the registration this time as well. So I've, I've seen that the cost there, mm -hmm. and it's fairly minimal, but do you want to give us a bit of background on, on the decision to, to put that in place? Yeah, I mean, it, it's no different than an in real life race where you have to have a governing body and, and an, um, officials on site, right? You know, we're, we are putting verification in place for all athletes because that has been a request by the community. We know that that is a concern that they have. We're hearing that and we want to meet that request. Um, there is a cost to that. Uh, there's a cost to uh, organizing and facilitating these these events as well. Um, and for me, uh, part of that is paying back, uh, you know, to to Project Echelon and to the mission that I stand for. Um, and by you know using our 
uh, Echelon Racing League as a series to one, promote esports and, and cycling as a whole, but then two, to give back to, um, to our mission is, is really important to me. And um, it, it seemed like a, a fair middle ground to meet everybody's uh, to meet everybody's needs, but then also to continue to advance our mission as as a team and as an entity. I said I, I personally would pay double that to know that I'm I'm racing on a uh, a level playing field, and knowing that what I'm doing, you know, is making a difference as far as you know, m- you know, maybe providing an example for other race series to to follow suit. Um, you know, it's when you really think about it, you can't race a local crit for, for that much. And you're going to get six races and an opportunity to race in the national championship. It seems kind of, you know, it seems like a, a no brainer. I don't like spending other people's money, but I think in this case, it's a value proposition. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'm interested in, Eric, is, is your mm-hmm. thoughts on what we're seeing now with the sort of the multi-platform, uh, you know, we, we've got different platforms out there and I know you've chosen to come back to Zwift on, on this occasion, but, you know, what's the Echelon Racing Promotions aim in the future? You know, do, do you only see yourself sticking out that or do you think you're going to diverse onto other platforms as well, given the fact that the UCI World Champs is not happening on Zwift this time around as well? Yeah. Yeah, we've, we've had this um, kind of dispositional conversation internally for some time. And um, I see the different platforms as being very similar to racing in different countries or different continents, right? Uh, you talk to any in real life pro that races, you know, in Europe, and then they come to the U S you know, going from narrow roads with a lot of road furniture to these wide open highways um, and vast fields and things of that nature. um, It's very, very different style of racing. And these platforms are um, no different in that way, right? They, they offer different challenges. Um, The, the in-game dynamics um, are very different. Um, and so you have to become an expert in, uh, in those, you know, different environments. Um, and that's truly what it is. It's just an, it's a different environment to, to race in. But if you want to call yourself a professional esports athlete, you, um, I think you should be, uh, you should be fluid in your skill set and how it transfers from platform to platform. And so, um, by, you know, having multiple platforms, uh, I think it also advances the, uh, the discipline as as a whole, um, and so seeing worlds change um, can help to to continue that collective advancement. Um, and we, Echelon Racing Promotions, would love to be a part of of that effort, and at some point in time, um, be somebody that can help to facilitate events at a high level uh, across platforms. So then, the next question is, you know, as far as promoting events at a high level across platforms and, and ways to, to really advance the sport. What is your opinion as far as um, real world events and, and getting involved in, in that facet of, of the sport? I love it. I mean, personally, we have uh, a rider that races with us, um, Zach Nair. Uh, he races with us, raced with Project Echelon uh, in real life for many years, um, transitioned to primarily racing um, esports, um, you know, during the the pandemic and really hasn't looked back since. Uh, he raced with us in the Echelon Racing League the past several years. He recently just went on to win the virtual uh, Vuelta España. Um, had the privilege of being, you know, on the podium with Sepp Kuss uh, at the end of, the, of that stage race um, for, for winning that virtual Vuelta España. It is really cool to see these two things start to converge. And we had that vision a long time ago as well. Um, actually, during the pandemic with the UCI Joe Martin stage race, um, we came to an agreement with USA Cycling and with uh, the race promoter that whoever won the virtual Joe Martin stage race, the next year got to start that race in the yellow jersey stage one, and they got car one um, in the in real life race. And it was really cool. to I, Cycling News said that we were the first ever entity to have a esports event have an in real life to see more of that happening uh, I think takes these two you know separate worlds that we live in and puts them closer and closer together uh, and that's that I think that's good for the community um, as a whole so on the topic of bringing two worlds closer together now that you're back on Zwift is a partnership between Zwift and Project Echelon Racing in the making. Like, will we get to see the number one U.S. Conti jersey in game? 
That is a wonderful question. And they are somebody that we would love to have as uh, a partner to Project Echelon Racing. I, I believe that we have a, a strong following and an influence um, that people want to be a part of. They want to be a part of that story. Um, at this time, that, that's not an official thing that's happening, but um, it's something that I'd keep your eyes open for because I, I, hope, I hope to make that uh, a reality in the near future. That sounds fantastic. It's great to see so much progression going on, Eric. I really appreciate your time today as well. Uh, and again, I, I look forward to seeing the pro because you've got a pretty cool jersey as well there with the uh, Project Echelon. So I look forward to seeing that in game, hopefully. Uh, and again, it's just really interesting to see these this partnership progress. You know, we've got all these organizations like yourself, Indie Velo, Zwift coming together just to move the sport onto the next level. And I, I can't wait to see what happens with the US Nationals. And, and hopefully we start to see some announcements from other governing bodies soon. Eric, thanks for joining us. Good luck with the series. Do you want to just give us some insight and where people could find more information on the Nationals and most importantly, the Echelon Racing Series? Yeah, if you go to echelonracingleague.com, uh, that's where you're going to find, that's going to be your central hub for all information about the race, including registration, uh, governance, where to find live streams. We're going to be partnering with Zwift Community Live for those. Um, and we will also have a news stream on there as well. So any publications, uh, podcasts, things of that nature, uh, you can find them on that one singular source, echelonracingleague.com. And I know that you always have something going on to enhance the community. So do you have anything else that you want to uh, let us know about, let the community know about? I, I'm sure that you have something in the works that is uh, you know, meaningful for a member of the community. Yeah, like I, I said, um, you know, our goal is to just try to grow cycling as a discipline. I've seen it save, I've literally saved people's lives. And I, I believe that it is a tool that can make us all better human beings. Um, and so we're trying to do that virtually, but also in person. We would love to invite everyone to join us at the uh, 2024 Project Echelon Gala, uh, March 2nd and 3rd in Tucson, Arizona. It will be a golf scramble, a black tie dinner, and a Grand Fondo event. I will have a host of partners uh, be a part of our expo at that event as well. And a really great opportunity for people that you may ride with from around the world virtually uh, to come together in one place, uh, get to know each other and build community face-to-face. -face. Well, I don't know. It sounds like our first on-location podcast recording. We could be right at the gala there watching these guys play golf. That'd be great. Yeah, go go golf's not really my sport, but uh, yeah, to, to meet you guys face-to-face uh, -face is something we've got to tie up soon. And I, and I think I can hear the keyboards tapping away of all those US cyclists now trying to figure out how they can get their hands on one of those national jerseys. So Eric, thanks very much for joining us and we'll hopefully speak to you again soon. Brilliant. Thank you, gentlemen. Really Thank appreciate you, Eric. You. Yeah, it was great to have Eric on, Chris. And uh, yeah, really interesting topic. I already thought that uh, Eric and Frank of, of, of VRL were, were pushing the boundaries a couple of years back. And, and again, they're just moving things forward, bringing these partnerships together and, and in particular looking and what they're doing with the USA National Championships this time around for amateurs and professionals. But uh, talking to that, why won't we talk about the UCI World Championships and the qualifications we're having there? All right, I'll tell you what, Chris, let's move this on a bit. It seems very USA Nationals heavy today. And, and in some way, I want to segue a little bit to the World Championships. We'll keep it American. But let's talk about the World Championships then and the qualifiers. I remember that you wrote an article um, earlier this year about the sort of selection committee for the Nationals and how the just because you took part in the World Championships meant that you weren't necessarily part of the national team, if I remember rightly. But have you got more information on what's going to happen in terms of the Americans when it comes to qualifying for the World Championships this time around, Chris? Yeah, I definitely do. I have, was able to get some of this information, and it'll be important to the, those, uh, to the athletes at the tippy top because they want to know where they stand, right, or how to, how to get into that position. Everybody wants to be in the World Championships and have a chance to win those uh, rainbow bands, right? That's the, uh, the pinnacle of the sport for, for a lot Absolutely. of athletes, and I don't blame them. The first criteria is any athlete placing in the top three at the prior year's world championships in the same event and category will be nominated to the team. So that's only one athlete. Um, but it would be fun if you can try to guess who the top three finishes were on the men's and the women's side. Si. Can, can you do it? Okay. All right. So we're, we're talking about 
the men's side, that was Zach Nier was up there, Brian Duffy was up there, and Chudik, I want to say, probably on the men's side. Was it close? Nice side. Nice side. Uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah. So Zach came in 10th, uh, Duffy came in 15th, and Joseph Chudik came in 22nd for uh, for the U.S. It's a, little, it's a little bit easier on the ladies because if I remember rightly, all three ladies were in the top 10. One of them was a former teammate of mine as well. So I remember Liz Van Halloween, she was in the top 10. Jackie Godby, of course, because she finished third. And then Viharin. Yes. Viharin, right? Very good. Ariel. Batting 1,000. Good for you. All right. So uh, Jackie Godby came in third, as we all know. Uh, first time a U.S. athlete's been on the podium. A huge accomplishment. Um, Ariel Viharin, the, the Olympian, came in fifth place. And Liz Van Howling uh, came in eighth. Then continuing on with the, with the national discussion, the top three finishers at USA Cycling Esports National Championships also secure nominations. If there are any positions left over, you know they, they don't have a set number of athletes. So if there are any remaining oh, right. quota positions left over, you know they don't, they don't have like a set number of athletes for the team. You know they they, they kind of leave that open ended. But if there are any other positions available, then you can petition for a spot using USA Cycling's discretionary selection process. And then I think there are also some spots for athletes that the UCI picks. You know, it's kind of like a gray area there. We also had that experience in the UK in the past with uh, with our selections in the UK because they were pretty much all done based on recommendations from the UCI or, uh, you know, track athletes or road athletes that never ridden esports before, but got selected for the uh, Cycling Esports World Champs. Thankfully, we've moved on from that particular uh, choice method as well. Yeah, so then, you know, getting back to the question of, you know, a U.S. national team. As of now, the there is no such thing as a U.S. national team for cycling esports. But there's going to be. And it's, uh, you know, like I have mentioned in the past, you know, each time we take a step forward, we're getting closer to the goal. And having a having a U.S. national team brings us closer to being recognized as a unique discipline, brings us closer to being legitimized as a sport. All right. So just to be clear, th- those athletes that, that get in based on the criteria that you said will now, moving forward, be part of the national team, not just selected for Worlds, but actually be part of the national team because they weren't previously. Is that right? I have reason to believe that that is going to happen. Awesome. Nice. It'll bring the U.S. up to speed with uh, other countries like Canada, you know, Australia, South Africa. You know, that's you know they already uh, recognize they already have national teams, uh, fully recognized, fully funded. Um, so it's uh, you know like I said, it's, it's does the U.S. have that big of an influence on the world stage as far as cycling goes? Uh, I, I'm not really sure. You know, it's not it's not like you know if Belgium was to was to announce that they they were going to have esports national uh, team, that would be different, of course, but. I think it's I think it's fairly impactful. It's pretty it's pretty significant. No, I think it's a nice bit of program. I mean, considering I think you only wrote that article earlier this year where we, you know, like say the national team US, you know, they announced the road, the track, the gravel riders part of that national team, but I remember your article highlighted that the cycling esports athletes weren't. So, if that is the case this time around, that shows a nice bit of progression from a a reasonably major national governing body, I guess. Yeah, it is. And it, it's also, you know, the I had a, a long interview with, with Jim Miller, um, as I had mentioned. And the interview, the whole entire interview was going really well until we were about to sign off. And then he says to me, I'm going I'm to read the quote. He says, <laughs> we're kind of committed to esports is actually the right thing to say. So, you know, it, we went through the whole interview where he said, oh, yeah, esports, go, go, go. And then at the end of the interview, as we're about to sign off, he says, we're, we're kind of interested. So, you know, from, from what I am led to believe that they're kind of really interested and uh, they're moving forward. And if you go onto USA Cycling's website, you're going to see that the eligibility criteria for, for national team placement is already there. And that's something that's in place, you know, months and months and months ahead. Um, so basically, they're going to revise that retroactively. And from what I understand, it's going to be revised to basically say if you qualified for the world championship for the U.S., that you were then going to be on the national team. I think it's great that, you, you know, that criteria is out there now for U.S. athletes. And uh, and hopefully, I mean, it sounds like we're the, we're the first to get that information out. Hopefully we uh, we see other national governing bodies get their announcements out soon as well, because I'm sure there are many athletes around the world trying to figure out how exactly they're going to qualify for the the UCI World Championships that are going to take place early 2024. Absolutely. One step closer. 
All right, let's move this on then, and we'll talk about the Zwift Grand Prix and all the controversy that took place this week for the opening round of the Zwift Grand Prix. Right, Chris, I'm going to move us on to the next topic. I think we need to talk about the Zwift Grand Prix. I'm sure you watched it. I know you watched it. Well, of course, this was round one of the Zwift Grand Prix took place last week, and it was in Richmond, and it was the points hunter, which was an epic, challenging race, I have to say. But, Chris, there's been some controversy, and I have to say, I know we we bicker over the, the, the ZRL helmets, and I'm going to steal your thunder this time because I'm going to be the one reading the statements this time around. So... I have managed to get a statement from Zwift. And bear in mind, this was sent to all the teams following last week's race. So listen to this, Chris. Dear Zwift Grand Prix racers, thank you all for turning up and putting on an awesome race for round one of the Zwift Grand Prix. The efforts of all riders and team staff ensured the racing was full of energy and no dull moments to turn away from the screen for viewers. Many of you are aware already that during the race on Thursday, October the 19th, steering and braking were inadvertently enabled. As per the race book, Zwift Grand Prix races should have steering and braking disabled this was a genuine human error but the mistake is on us consequently many races took part with steering enabled giving this should have been auto disabled upon entering the pens there is no suspicion of foul play or deliberate attempt to gain an unfair advantage we take seriously our responsibility to deliver racing that meets your expectations and uphold the high standards of cycling esports competition to that end, we've determined that the following corrective actions are necessary to address concerns raised. No series points will be awarded for the race on October the 19th, and we will award double points to the final event of the series. And this is the crucial part in the Zwift statement. Because we greatly value your time in participating in our races, we will increase each team's start bonus by $500. Wow. Additionally, we are taking further steps to eliminate the kind of error that led to steering being turned on for this event. We apologize for our error and hope that you are excited as we are about the remaining rounds of the Zwift Grand Prix. Zwift Race Team. Wow, 500 US dollars. It's, uh, yeah, I can tell you there was a mixed reaction to that from the teams. Wow. Chris, I, I can tell you my... Facebook messenger page and the Discord channels I have with some of these elite teams was red hot, both post-event and once this document was uh, was received. Yeah, this is one of those instances where there's there's no way to make everybody happy. It's you know, from from the racers to the teams to Zwift to the fans. It's just it's an unfortunate incident, right? It was a mistake. Should it be happening at this level? Um, in an ideal world, no, right? But people make mistakes. There's just, there are so many layers to this story. First of all, steering should be functionally disabled. That's what it says in the rule book, but it doesn't say steering is forbidden in the rule book. So, you know, you have that layer of it, right? The athletes that realize that steering was enabled, did they then show intent to use it? Is that a breach of the fair play clause? And should those people be disqualified for using it when they knew that they shouldn't? That's another layer of this. The, the another layer is, did, did they actually gain an advantage by using it? There's still debate as to whether you know steering gives you an advantage, right? And even though you know the people that are good at it um, know that it does give you an advantage. There's also the question of how do you detect the violators? You know, it's it's almost impossible to you know figure out who is actually using it for an advantage and who is using it just because they're you know going all out and their their finger touches the button um, accidentally. And then you know the other layer of it is that it was you know from what we understand it was an honest mistake. Zwift took accountability. They they paid reparations, which you know that whole part of it I'm not really um, sure about, but it's a significant sum of money. It's it's sixteen thousand dollars that they that they paid out to you know basically say our bad. You know it's it's a, a really good question and a kind of you know it, it, like the only analogy that I can think of is that you know Zwift is a bank and the athletes are you know athletes are customers in the bank and when they walk into the bank and the safe is open. And the money is just sitting there. And some of the athletes went in and took some of the money 
And some of the athletes walked by and said, I shouldn't really do that. It was Zwift's obligation to lock the safe and they didn't. So they have to give the money to the to the athletes to to make up for it. Yeah, you know, it's just it's like it, it's almost like a metaphor for the the situation that we're in as a whole, right? Because we know that there are vulnerabilities on the platform and the athletes are always put into a position where they have to be conscious of fair play because there are ways that you can game the system. You know, the the actual incident itself is less telling to me than how it is impactful and the way that it's a metaphor for everything that's going on in cycling esports right now. You, you know what, you're really right. And, and I can tell you, obviously, I did speak to a lot of the athletes and I spoke to a lot of the teams and, and there was a common theme, you know, and I think I spoke to a few athletes who realized quite early on that steering was enabled and just turned off the Zwift plays or turned off whatever system it has that they were using to interact at the time. You know, and Zwift did say in that statement there that there's no suspicion of foul play. And for me, it kind of felt like it, it could have, they could have just let this go and let it slide, you know, f- from that point of view. And I actually think that may have been a better outcome for cycling esports and the creme de la creme of the Zwift racing calendar which is the Zwift Grand Prix is to just let it go of course there were some mixed responses there from team managers you know depending where they are and and how they performed you know I I know you know BL13 just to name a team there I've spoke to BL13 quite a bit and they are really upset because you know they they went all out there they took basically a tactical master plan their first time of asking in the Zwift Grand Prix and ended up where they ended up the top of that of that table there you know so to have those points taken away I know those guys pretty upset there but I think the majority of teams that I spoke to they just said you know let it go let the point stand for the sake of the sport just let it go let it stand because now in round two we've got to make an announcement you know, we've got to tell the public there that, hey, we made a mistake. We're basically starting again. And it was an exciting night of racing. I don't know what you thought, just coming on to the actual production, Chris, but I thought the racing was exciting, but that's because I'm engaged in Zwift Grand Prix. But there were some things missing for me. You know, and you mentioned being able to see the riders. One of the things missing for me was those videos. You know, I it's a little bit more relatable when you see a human on a bike in the corner of the screen working hard in relation to that avatar. And there was just something missing from the production and the show that I watch live on YouTube. You know, I, uh, I couldn't agree more. Um, you know, I have a vested interest, obviously. I watched every second of it, and I've, I certainly did a lot of preparation going into it and, and a lot of debate after the, the race, but I'm not the casual fan. But I was thinking the whole time I was watching the broadcast that if I was the casual fan, that I don't think that I would have lasted very long. I'm the put a face to the avatar guy, right? I'm the, I'm the person who says that the only way for this sport to go forward is to make it personal. And that broadcast, to quote Anna uh, from the rap, her rap po- podcast, she said it was very avatary, And I, I couldn't, you know, that it was, that's a great way yeah. to describe it because that's what it was right the the commentators were fabulous they you know the points hunter was a very intricate format to to explain and they did a great job of explaining it but the preparation you know knowing the athletes knowing something personal about the athletes you know knowing some stories maybe you know trying to create a rivalry or just have it's really compelling when you when you see an athlete you know turning them inside out on the screen like when you're watching an avatar you, you don't get that you know, this sport needs to make that connection. It needs to have a face. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, we, we've already highlighted in this show that this is quite a momentous year. This is a pivotal year. There's more competition in the space. There's more competitions coming in this space with the verification and so on. And when we want more eyes on the screen, we've got to get these things right. And we've also got to up that level of production as well and make it more engaging. Because as you said, you and I are engaged. We have a vested interest. We love this sport. But I'm interested in how do I get my kids? How do I get my younger daughter? How do I get other people who are not necessarily into cycling esports now? Eyes on the screen, engaged in what we're doing. So anyway, that's the controversy revolving around the Zwift Grand Prix. And hopefully we'll have a fairly uneventful round two. And we're going to be taking on that epic climb up the Alp de Zwift. Chris, let's get on to more progressive and exciting news and talk about the IOC and the Esports Olympics. This is actually, it's a big thing to me, um, and it should be a big thing to to members of the community that would like to see esports, cycling esports in the Olympics. And, you know, some of you will say, you know, what difference does it make? Um, it makes a huge difference. Every single head of a, a national governing body has said to me in interviews 
that if cycling esports gets into the Olympics, it will be a game changer for the sport because all you know that's where the funding comes from. That's where the eyes come from. You know, it, it, it will allow the national governing bodies to actually devote resources to cycling esports. And you know, money isn't everything, but it, you know, as far as creating a sport, it's a lot. The president of the IOC, um, Thomas Bach, in their 14th IOC session, you know, they have a session where they get together and they discuss the plans for uh, the, the coming, you know, coming period, coming session. Yeah. And he stated that the IOC has uh, is making plans to commission an esports study. So they ha- they've they've created an esports commission and they're going to do a study to determine the viability of a, of an esports Olympics. And one of the things that's really significant about that is that the commission serves as an advisory council to the board. So they, they basically answer directly to the IOC, this is what we would like you to do, and they you know substantiate why. But the, the thing that's extremely interesting is that David Lepartien is the, the president of the UCI. He is also a member of the IOC esports liaison group. He's the leader of that group as well. And they're the group that organized the Olympic esports series in Singapore. He was tapped as the chair of the newly established esports commission. So basically, the head of the UCI is now the head of the commission that's going to be advising the head of the IOC. The head of the IOC, the president of the IOC, Thomas Bach, has come out publicly stating that they would prefer to have physical esports in the Olympics, you know, something that replicates actual physical sports and yep. seeing athletes that are actually reproducing athletic performances. So, you know, we have that going for us as well. Now, in case you don't know, the UCI has devoted resources to cycling esports. You know, Michael Rogers, you know, that Michael Rogers, the UCI innovation manager, and he's the guy who, yeah. you know, his job, you know, part of his job is is cycling esports. So, you know, they, they do have people that are, you know, in the organization that are dedicated to that. So I think that, you know, with all these things, like well, you know, what we discussed with Eric today, the, the the national championships, what we discussed as far as you know the world championships qualifications, all of these things are are getting us you know a step closer to the goal. You know, it, you know, in each little step is getting us there, and this would be a huge step. All right. Thanks for listening to today's show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And you're going to want to come back for episode 33 because this is a biggie. For the first time, we are going to give a voice to MyWoosh. On episode 33, we've got a representative from MyWoosh to give us the background, the story, and hopefully some insights and where MyWoosh is going in the future. I'd like to thank you for the privilege of your time and for helping to bridge the gap between athlete and avatar.